That's right, you know this music. This music means only one thing. It's the March edition of 2233's The Food We Eat Bonus Podcast, wherein we learn about the odd and adventurous dietary implications of traveling the globe. It's 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. Alcohol was a very interesting concept over there. Um, there's just so many different and random traditions around alcohol and how it's who's supposed to serve it, how much you're supposed to drink at what kind of event. You know, they're, you know, Kyrgyzstan is a majority Muslim country, but the Islam that they practice is definitely influenced by, you know, Soviet ideology. So they're still very collectivist. And I think alcohol consumption was big during the Soviet times, but they still do it, especially the older generation. And even though they may not eat pork, they still are going to drink alcohol. And I found that very interesting at the weddings, especially. It, you are not supposed to leave any empty uh, vodka bottles. You have to finish the whole thing or else you'll have bad luck. So here are people just like scrambling to like find someone to drink it. And of course, they're going to give it to the foreigners because the foreigners are just going to take everything in that they can. It was, yeah, those are some crazy wedding nights in Kyrgyzstan. This week, no bottle shall remain unemptied. Sampling snake meat. And apparently, it's allowed to bring canned horse through U.S. customs. Who knew? Join us on a journey to the far edges of your taste buds. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that's what we call cultural exchange. I'm such a chocolate snob. I think one time we went, we went back to visit a few years afterwards and we were at the Zurich airport and I told my husband, I'm like, we have to go get this kind of chocolate. And he was like, you're crazy. I'm like, nope. This is the kind, I even had a picture of it um, on my phone. And it was kind of strange. We had to exit the airport, um, everything in the Zurich airport that had a grocery store. So we had to exit. And then we came back in and one of the security people were questioning us like, why did you just leave 15 minutes and come back? And then I told them a story about the chocolate and they're like, oh, we totally understand. So... So I am I am terrified of snakes. So I would just I would love these stories that she would tell. And I'd probably ask her to tell them over and over again. So she mentioned to me that her husband cooks snake, cooks snake in a crock pot, cooks python. And, you know, of course, like my my eyes lit up when I when I heard this and I said to them, you know, I really I want to try python. And it's almost like an old boys club of eating this python. So uh, at the end of the trip, she hosted a party, and for me specifically, her husband decided to cook some python in the crock pot, and uh, they called me back into the kitchen, and they're like, Joe, you got to come back. Like We got some python for you. So 
I wander back into the kitchen and there it was, this massive python, you know, cooked in tomato sauce and spices and just chopped up. And despite my fear for snakes, I felt like this was me overcoming my fear of snake is getting to eat one, right? So I took a bite and I really liked it. It tasted like chicken. Um, but the, the best part about it was of course, I had to take pictures of it, and I put it on my Instagram, and people were flipping out that I ate python. But my mom was convinced that I was going to die <laughs> that night after I ate the python. So I guess back in America, she didn't sleep all night long, assuming that I was getting <laughs> medevaced to the hospital because I ate this python. And I woke up to about eight different messages from my mother freaking out. So I told her, I said, Mom, I'm fine. Um, and I plan, hopefully, I... I spoke to Liz, the uh, CAO, and I'm hoping to go back to Ghana in 2019 where she's now um, is working. And I said, get, you know, get that crock pot ready because I want some Python. <laughs> so, yeah, TV continued. We'll have a Python part two story for when I come back from that trip. Awesome. <laughs> I definitely loved horse meat. Horse meat is, is great. Uh, my friends and family have often heard me say that. Horse meat to me, so a, a horse steak tastes like grass-fed beef a little bit. And all the different ways you can make it, you know, as a steak, bech parmak, have a big flat noodle and a mess of a stew of vegetables and meat and stuff. If I could count the ways that you could eat horse, they're all good. I remember that I brought back from Kazakhstan a, a couple cans of horse meat. I wasn't sure if I was gonna get that through customs or not. Fun fact though, you can't bring most types of meat through customs. You can't bring beef, you can't, yeah, probably not chicken, whatever. And unless things have changed, um, you, you can in fact bring horse. I brought a couple cans of, uh, of horse meat. It was in a nice little cylinder like this. Um, it had horse, like horses on the can. So <laughs> the so the customs guy looking at it, he's like, yes, that, that is that is an indeed horse. You know, he's 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 looking through his um his his list of things that are forbidden through US customs, expecting to find something. And <laughs> he didn't. So well I guess I guess you're good to go. Yeah, so one of these cans of horse meat eventually this is like a year later, I had a Christmas gathering with some of my friends, and we were trying to figure out something to, a dish to bring, something to make, and um, I volunteered my can of horse, and uh, we ended up making nachos out of it. Horse nachos. And it, you know, I, I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people put down these, like, food mashups, like Korean tacos or whatever, but, you know, ho no, horse nachos, it's, I'd recommend it. Like, you mean, what was the consistency? Yeah, like, Dog food. That's how I describe it. <laughs> it was it was it was almost flaky in a, in the can. So one of my friends got inventive and he actually made gravy out of the juice too, which was good. Went went on the nachos sort of like a in, instead of cheese. Anyway, yeah, no, it was it was it wasn't the, the most appetizing consistency, but once you cooked it, it was all right. I'm definitely a very uh, adventurous eater. I can handle all kinds of spice, and because of my, you know, being raised in a Korean household, it was like I eat like crazy. <laughs> I was very confused sometimes with what was inside the food in Kyrgyzstan. 
because they eat a lot of meat and a lot of carbs um, and they also eat a lot of body parts that I or not body parts I should say like <laughs> animal animal parts sorry <laughs> uh, parts of animals that aren't usually eaten uh, by the majority people in America I would say like I remember I, I think I ate lungs, sheep's lungs, and I, I didn't know. I remember they were trying to tell me, oh, no, don't worry. It's like cheese. I was like, what? Okay, I tried it. And I was like, this is not cheese. It's, it may be white like cheese, but it's it's something meat, like meaty. And um, I, that was not, that wasn't, in my opinion, delicious. They are known for their fermented mare's milk. It's called kumus. Um, Sorry, kumus. Yeah, kumus. Kumus is actually the the guitar sorry <laughs> but yeah kumas is yeah fermented horse milk and if you drink enough of it you can be tipsy which i've learned and they give it to babies it's like very normal um and i remember thinking i hated it in the beginning but over time it's definitely an acquired taste i i kind of started to like it and now i can safely say like i do kind of miss um hummus and um the times i've been back i have actively looked for it so that I could because you don't get it really anywhere else um, I recently was in Chicago wh where um, the biggest Kyrgyz diaspora in America is and I you know I went to two Kyrgyz restaurants just because I you know I was curious and um, yeah they had they had it <laughs> so I had it <laughs> I think what, what struck me largely about the food, of course, is very different and often what seems to us as Americans very exotic foods. Um, some I, I probably wouldn't try again, uh, fried sand crabs and, and things like that. Um, I think what was notable perhaps about the food culture was that the, if you thought about it a little bit, there was you know, obviously things that we were eating, animals and, and plants that were eating that were very different from how we would eat. But you also kind of get a sense of how these are somewhat arbitrary boundaries. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, it would be, uh, you know, unthinkable for us to eat some of the foods that are eaten there. But on the other hand, you think, well, what is it exactly that differentiates, say, a dog from a pig in our culture and why those distinctions are drawn? So I think it, it really reinforced that, excuse me, it really reinforced that there were um, perhaps some uh, boundaries that we draw that are culturally very salient and, and matter quite a lot to people, uh, but also the fact that at the end of the day, these are, are somewhat arbitrary lines that we, we put in the sand and uh, that for people who live in that culture all the time, these are the most normal things you could possibly come across. And so it was an excellent experience in uh, getting to see a different way of eating and cooking, but also to sort of step back and uh, check my assumptions a little bit. We had a dinner uh, in Des Moines. The last day in Des Moines is two days ahead. It's the last night. We will have free time. So every everyone supposed to bring one dish from their own country. So I made Chinese food, some made Vietnamese food, some made food. And then we, um, and James and B 
B, they are American, right? They tried our Asian food, very, very spicy. <laughs> and you can see the first time rat. And they're, try they're trying to be like, okay, it's good. Okay, it's good. Mm, do you want more? I'm like, okay, okay, fine. And you can see their face is all red because it's really, really spicy food. <laughs> and, and this spicy add a lot of humor to James. And he started talking about her private, uh, their private life. I mean, we, we are so professional most of the time. We are just talking about our work and the challenges and this and that. We seldom share our love story. <laughs> and then that night, because of the spicy food, and then people start talking and we laugh all night. I still feel, we become a family at that moment. I feel like, oh my God, this is family, how you feel like. You bring your dish and then you share your story with wine and with this, with that. Like everyone's so happy. And we had the early, very early flight to catch in the morning, six. So, <laughs> but we still enjoy that a lot at that night. So like, wow, that's the moment I feel like, oh, this is family. It so, become family. So spicy food and wine. Yeah, <laughs> spicy food and wine. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty-two thirty-three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name is Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty-two thirty-three is named for Title Twenty-two, Chapter Thirty-three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, we heard from six ECA exchange participants. Amanda Trabalsi, Sutton Mayer, Joanna Lohman, Peter Oster, Josh Glasser, and Sophia Huang. And we're grateful for all of their stories. For more about ECA exchanges, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do that wherever you find your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We would love that. Special thanks this week to everybody for sharing their stories, delicious, scary, or otherwise. I did the interviews with them and edited this episode. Featured music during this segment was Shim Me Sha Wobble by Don Redman and his orchestra. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tigerlius. Until next time. <laughs>